Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg ad-free and right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here, and welcome to this latest edition of the Ion Travel Podcast. I'll be talking border crossings, airspace closures, changing cruise ship schedules, and even a report on the lockdown situation in Asia. A lot to discuss with Cheryl Gay Stolberg from the New York Times with an update on the latest decisions from the Biden administration. Gene Sloan from the Point Sky on the status of the cruise ship industry. Don Gilbertson from USA Today. And from Hong Kong, Lilith Marcus from CNN. First up, and listen up, because the travel and tourism situation is changing that rapidly, Cheryl Gay Stolberg from the New York Times. Cheryl Gay Stolberg, who reports from Washington for the New York Times. Hey, Cheryl. Hey, how are you? Well, no, how are you? Are you still awake? <laughs> because it's been quite a uh, week. I'm- I'm still awake. It's been quite a week, uh, quite a eight or nine or ten days. Um, President Biden has us all in a whirlwind here. He's keeping us busy. And when it comes to travel and travel restrictions and new travel rules, very busy. Yes. So earlier this week, the president banned travel by non-citizens into the United States from South Africa. That, of course, is due to a concern about the very infectious variant of the coronavirus that is spreading there. And he also extended similar bans that had been put into place by President Trump on travel from Brazil, uh, Europe, and uh, the UK and Ireland. So um, sweeping action by the the new president. um, And it's obviously going to seriously affect the airline industry, which is not too happy about it, and travelers. And in addition to that, the Biden administration is apparently considering a CDC recommendation that once anybody who is allowed to come here has to quarantine for seven days. Uh, I think the Biden administration was talking about actually about quarantine for 14 days. They also want travelers to show proof of a negative coronavirus test or proof that they have recovered from coronavirus, you know, with a doctor's note and are no longer infectious uh, before traveling to the United States. But the quarantine is interesting. You know, it's not it's not very easy for the federal government to impose a quarantine order. They can request people quarantine, but it's obviously very difficult to enforce. And of course, that doesn't necessarily deal with just the quarantine orders that may also be in, in, in place in individual states. I'm here in New York, and it's sort of an honor system, but they want you to quarantine if you're coming in, even from another state. They do. And states, you know, we have seen throughout this pandemic, states imposing and uh, canceling these kinds of restrictions, depending on the flow of the virus. Um, but with these infectious variants that are spreading, a lot of people, public health officials especially, are on edge. They are worried that these variants are spreading fast, 
and in a way that they can outpace the vaccine. So we're kind of in a race between the vaccine and the virus. Exactly. And then the latest reporting that we've seen, although not confirmed, is that at least the Biden administration is at least considering uh, doing that negative COVID-19 test requirement, even within that 72-hour rule, for people flying on domestic flights between two U.S. cities. Right. That that actually is not confirmed. Um, the White House press secretary was asked uh, during her briefing earlier this week uh, what was going to happen with respect to um, international travel and students and unmarried couples, because the Biden administration's rules allow spouses of American citizens and lawful permanent residents to travel, as well as American citizens, but not students and unmarried couples. And Jen Psaki, the new White House press secretary, said that they are reviewing that. So we may hear more about that in the days coming forward. I mean, all the airlines are essentially up in arms in terms of that possible domestic rule. And the question that I would have, as I do with the quarantine rule, and you just brought it up, is how do you manage that? And even more importantly, how do you enforce it? Well, it, it's it's difficult. And, you know, the airlines, when I talk to them, make the case that the virus is not spreading as easily on airplanes as people think, that they have taken a lot of precautions that air travel is safer than you think. They point to uh, studies by the, or papers by the World Health Organization suggesting that the coronavirus is not um, a true threat on air travel and that bans are really not an effective way to prevent the spread of the virus. Exactly. It's, it's, it's a brave new world, isn't it? Cheryl, when we last left off, I was talking about three countries in particular, which I know came, came up this week, uh, Russia, India, and Mexico. Is there an administration policy on that? Uh, there is not. And uh, Jen Psaki, the White House press secretary, was asked about it at one of her briefings. Uh, and she said that the White House is following the guidance of its public health experts who are analyzing the spread of the virus. And that this is not an issue or a policy that's being dictated by geopolitics, but rather by public health. And that's really the message that President Biden has wanted to impart during these first days in office, that he is going to be following the science. You know, earlier this week, uh, President Biden... One of his two first calls to foreign leaders, one was to Canadian Prime Minister Trudeau, the other was to the Mexican president. Both of those depend so much on American travel and tourism, and yet Canada's borders are closed. Mexican borders are open if you're flying there, but not if you're driving there. It'll be very interesting to see what happens in the next month or two, because Canada has basically said their decision date on whether they're going to open their ports is going to be on or before February 21st, but we had no indication so far as to whether they're going to open at all. Have you? Well, what I've seen on the um, the U.S. Embassy uh, website with respect to Canada is that effective January 26th, so a couple of days ago, all airline passengers to the United States, oh, must, that's to the United States, must provide yeah. a negative. That's right. So I guess I don't know what's happening with respect to travel into Canada, if that's changing. Um, I think that essential travel into Canada is allowed, but I am not quite certain. No, Uh, it is, but the the qualifications are quite specific, or family medical emergencies as well. Uh, But the real key is, and and the people who are loving to cruise are on, on pins and needles only because... You know, the Alaska cruise season is between May and September. There wasn't an Alaska cruise season last year. They've announced one this year, but they've announced it in sort of a vacuum because uh, under the Jones Act, which most people don't realize, no no cruise line or no ship for that matter that's not registered in the U.S. can stop in two U.S. ports without stopping in a foreign port first, which explains why so many Alaska cruises start in Vancouver. Um, and without without the Canadian ports open, there can't be an Alaska cruise season. So well, I guess the, I, I guess I the have issue. I confess that I'm kind of surprised from a public health perspective to even think that the cruise industry is um, is planning a, a season this year. I mean, we know from the outbreak of this pandemic, the Diamond Princess. Uh, was really a petri dish for coronavirus. A viral infection uh, can spread like wildfire on a cruise ship. And um, I know the cruise industry took a terrible hit and and wants to resume, but we are in a situation right now where we've got these very infectious variants that are spreading 
fast. Um, and, you know, I, I, far be it for me to make policy for Canada, but I, I'm not entirely surprised that they don't want to open their ports. Because no, I, I hear you. Ships are a very effective way to spread the virus. Well, what's happening outside of Canada in terms of cruise itineraries is in order for cruises to be allowed to resail under the CDC uh, agreements, they have to perform to about 74 different, different criteria and inspections and, in many cases, design changes, floor plan changes, uh, uh, boarding and disembarking procedures, shore excursions, and they're working on that now. But what we're seeing is just about every week another announcement saying, We've delayed our, our resumption of sailing from April to May, then from May to June. Now it's into July. Uh, that probably will just basically ruin the Alaska cruise season anyway, whether Alaska opens up or not. Uh, my guess is that if we actually do develop a vaccination passport, that will be a requirement uh, in order to even get on a cruise ship. And that, that's something that members of Congress have, have talked about. Um, it raises some um, individual liberty questions. Uh, you know, the United States is tracking who gets vaccinated and keeping a database, and that has raised some concerns. People don't like the idea of the government keeping track of their medical information. Um, but it may well be that in the future, to you know, to do these kinds of things, to to go on a cruise, an individual company might require. Yeah. proof of vaccination in order to make sure that the situation is safe for all their passengers. My thanks to Cheryl. Next, I head out west to Arizona for a chat with Don Gilbertson from USA Today for the latest on where you can't go, where you can go, and what's changing fast. And joining me right now from USA Today, Don Gilbertson. Hey, Don. Hey, Peter. Thanks very much for having me. Yeah, so so many things. I mean, you you, you know, I, I read your stuff all the time in, in USA Today. One of my favorite stories that you did, of course, was uh, you know Southwest Airlines banning emotional support animals, um, oh, yeah. be, because I was the guy at CBS years ago who thought it was like so absurd that I actually went to a to a farm in Pennsylvania and rented a pig. And oh, you did? Oh, I did. And we got it certified by the you know by the by the crazy crack psychologist for 150 bucks that you do online, and then got it this enormous red vest. And we did a story on CBS News called "When Pigs Fly." Um, did you? What airline was it? It was at that time. It was U.S. Air, and oh, then wow. we did it. And, yeah, and it <laughs> it was crazy. And then, of course, all the other incarnations—you know, the miniature cows and the donkeys and the and the and the standard poodles and the peacocks—and oh, peacock. it was nuts, right? We remember yeah, the I peacock. Mean, it, it really got out. I mean, I think what you know, you were hear- they were hearing from customers that didn't bring them is that people, you know, were basically just trying to, or the majority of people that took on ESAs were trying to avoid, you know, the pet fees, which can be pretty hefty. And now those pet fees are going to be just as hefty. And and the rules are, you know, you can reserve a spot for your dog or cat on a plane in a cabin if there's one per cabin, period. And the fee for that, in some cases, is more expensive than your own airline ticket. And if the dog or cat is too big for that, then it's got to be in a kennel an approved kennel in the cargo hold, and there's a fee for that. So get ready. Uh, Fido just well, got a whole and, lot more expensive. Oh, for sure. In fact, I saw something funny on Twitter the other day where uh, somebody was saying, you know, with having to pay for my pet now, uh, do you have, uh, can they have their own frequent flyer miles? Which I thought was hilarious. Well, um, inter- but- you should, interesting you should mention that. Some airlines uh, actually um, do it. Um, do and, they? Uh, yeah, they did. Uh, El Al did it in Israel. Uh, they, mm-hmm. they 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 had a they had a dog that had a frequent flyer number. I'm serious. Anyway, forgetting that, <laughs> let's get serious here because the uh, the new rules that went into effect earlier this week, uh, uh, January 26th, requiring the negative COVID 19 test in order to board a flight to come back to the United States, that's got to impact Mexico. Oh, it's impacting it huge. Uh, you know, I mean, United was one of the first airlines to come out and say. You know, they were they were seeing uh, depressed bookings and also increased cancellations. And since then, other airlines, uh, including JetBlue this week, you know, has said they've taken a hit. I mean, the only plus um, the only thing that offsets that a little bit is that they're seeing one of the airlines said they're seeing uh, a little pickup in business to Puerto Rico. You know, since it's a territory, it it doesn't uh, it's not impacted by this new rule. Um, But then others are saying like people are going. Uh, you know, shifting from Mexico to 
domestic flights. I interviewed a woman who uh, was supposed to go to Puerto Vallarta. She had just been in Cancun for Christmas, loved it. And then with the, she just thought there was just too much risk with the new rules, you know, risk of getting stuck there if you test positive. So they are now going to Savannah, Georgia for Valentine's Day. Well, let's hope they put on double masks if they're going to Savannah, Georgia. But here's the thing. Uh, there are so many now in the private sector, the hotels and resorts, not just in Mexico, but throughout the Caribbean um, that I know that have tried to pivot with this, uh, offering free COVID-19 tests, hotels doing it, resorts doing it. Some have been throwing in even more incentives. Uh, Hyatt saying that if you if you test positive and, you, and you're delayed getting back, we'll give you a real good, big discount, not only in your room, but on your food and beverage. Uh, a Mexican company called Palace Resorts, they have uh, the, the big all-inclusives at like the Moon Palace and they've got LeBlanc and others have said, we'll not only give you a free COVID-19 test, but if you test positive, we'll put you up here for 14 days at our expense, including your significant other. Because I think they're trying to deal with not what people necessarily are talking about, but what they're thinking about. You know, I don't want to go someplace and get stuck and can't come home, just like you said, Don. Well, yes. I mean, they really don't have a choice if you think about it, right? I mean, already, you know, travel's already depressed in Mexico and the Caribbean were one of the bright spots for airlines. And so, you know, I, I, I seem to get at least five, six, just like you do, uh, announcements a day just uh, about what you were just saying. You know, here's the COVID test, free COVID test. Also, I've seen a lot about the free 14-day quarantine. But, I mean, the question is, of course, for travelers and for the industry is how long can they afford to do that? Exactly. You know, I mean, it's kind of like middle seats, blocked middle seats with the airlines. They started doing it to boost confidence for people, but then realized, you know, hey, we're losing a lot of money. So they, you know, have gradually, everyone's rolled them back, but uh, Delta. You're right. I mean, look, there's a reason why there's a middle seat. It's to be sold. <laughs> um, I hate to tell everybody that. Of course, we love the optics of it. We love that before the pandemic, I never wanted to either sit next to somebody in the middle seat or be in that middle seat. Gee, what a right. surprise. Uh, well, and interesting on that note, by the way, about middle seats, uh, Southwest Airlines this week, this, this figure to me was just fascinating. Uh, you know, they, they unblocked middle seats starting December 1st. Uh, they said that was uh, worth $80 million in revenue. That they lost? No, that they gained from, from, from when they, you know, when they oh, listed wow. it December 1st. That, that brought in an extra $80 million in revenue uh, by being able to sell all the seats on the plane in Amazing. December. Amazing. Well, you know what? I get that. I mean, you know, in a, in a world that most of the airlines are making so much money with ancillary fees... Um, right. the, the idea of just selling a seat becomes novel. <laughs> it's, right. uh, it's interesting. So we've seen some of the, the fourth quarter results from the airlines. They're not happy. They're not healthy. Uh, American Airlines uh, lost $2.2 billion in the fourth quarter. The significant number that I saw in that report was that if you go back to April of last year, American Airlines' daily cash burn what they were hemorrhaging a day in losses was $100 million a day. And they were very boastful in this fourth quarter earnings report by saying, well, we've lowered that now. We're only losing $30 million a day. Yeah, and so it's the same story. I mean, everything being relative, I suppose they're breaking out the champagne, but it's still $30 million a day. Yes, and, and, and the interesting thing is, I mean, you've listened to those calls as I have for years. And, you know, just during the pandemic, you know, each quarter – you know, they do tout that because it is, you know, in, in this environment, it, it's all relative. You know, they're, they're losing, they're losing less. And then, you know, what's happening is more and more curveballs keep getting thrown their way. You know, if you, if you rewind to like the summer, some of them were hoping, you know, to no longer be, um, you know, throwing cash out the window by the end of the year, but then all these travel restrictions and quarantines and then the rising COVID cases, uh, you know, then they have to readjust their figures all over again. So they're, they're still, the tone I took away from all of this week, I mean, there's some optimism, obviously, with the vaccines, but they are still struggling pretty mightily, especially these next few months. And ironically, only about two months ago, American and United announced all these new routes overseas. United announced yeah. it was going to fly back to JFK for the first time in five years. And that's all been put on hold. Some, some of the new routes have been put on hold, but, but also what I think is notable is how many new routes they've created. I mean, you look at Southwest, you know, 12 new destinations. Uh, yeah, Don, I, I got to tell you, Don, that's the surprise because you and I know, if you look at it historically, 
in any given year for the last 10 years, uh, Southwest might have added, emphasis on the word might, one new route a year, maybe. Exactly. And all of a sudden they're throwing 12 out there? Yes, and yes. You know, they're just trying, I mean, like uh, Gary Kelly has said this week, you know, basically his his rallying cry to employees is um, stop the bleed. You know, so so they're really trying to look for routes where, you know, they have all these planes, even though some are parked. So they're just trying to, you know, get as many people on planes as they can. So they're going to places that maybe were on their radar a few years down the road, if at all. You know, Miami, Key West, a uh, lot of places in Colorado. You know, they're just. Hey, how about how about O'Hare? How about O'Hare? Right. right. Wow. Well, That's you know what? Be really interesting. I, I guess the idea is you've got a lot of planes that are parked. Uh, you got a lot of cities that are underserved at a time when, especially because of the new re- restrictions and and uh, barriers to entry to the United States, uh, a lot of Americans are actually starting to rediscover their own country uh, because exactly. they can't go. And that and that's what I think that they're banking on. They all are. I, I mean, it's crazy. I mean, I I'd like to put together like a map of what the what airlines domestic you know what their their route maps look like say last january versus this january or maybe this spring you know when everything new is included because it is mind-boggling all the new routes is there such a thing as a mandatory quarantine anywhere in the united states the only place with a mandatory quarantine in the united states is hawaii and you know you have new york strongly recommends it or says it's mandatory but you know the enforcement i was there the enforcement is hit or miss but Hawaii, where I also was for work, uh, I mean, I saw policemen coming up and down uh, hotel floors to check on people who were supposed to be in their rooms because they didn't oh, yeah. arrive with a negative COVID test. Hawaii was definitely uh, taking it seriously. And I agree with you about New York. I've said this so many times because I've been flying around the country. And when I returned to New York by National Guard troops at arrival gates, handing out forms to sign uh, and to fill out. And I get the intention. I think it's a great idea. But nobody double checks what I'm putting on the form. I or, could put down. Up. I, well, they can't follow up if I put down your name. And yeah. and the thing is, uh, you just put it in a box and leave. It's it's uh, and 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 in the eight times I've done it, uh, I I only got one follow up automated call saying, "Are you okay?" Texting me It was a text. And if you and if you hit you know the letter A, then they never called you back again. That's not exactly what they were doing in Hawaii. I can tell you. No, and the same thing happened to me. I flew into LaGuardia in November and was met by the, you know, the same National Guardsmen and filled out this form. I mean, they were, you know, it appears to be really strict, but I never, except for a text also, like it, that said, which I thought was a scam at first, it said like New York Sheriff's, Sheriff's Office, but nobody ever, nobody ever followed up. Nobody ever checked on me, nothing. And it's probably not because they didn't want to. They didn't have the staff. They didn't have the resources. And oh, for sure. I know it's just it. It is the honor system, and not everybody's honoring it. Uh, speaking of sure. testing, now now that we have these new rules, we're seeing resorts pivot. We talked about that. We're seeing countries pivot. What about travel insurance? That to me is the is the big bad one because you know during the pandemic everybody realized that all the insurance they bought was essentially worthless. Uh, there was a page ninety five of the insurance company website that basically said, "Oh, by the way, surprise, surprise, we, we don't cover pandemic." And all these people were out of luck. Uh, is that changing at all? You know, that's not my strength. Uh, the travel insurance, I have not studied that closely. I will tell you, I did notice something, and this is this real niche, but in Aruba, Aruba's policies where they force you to buy a uh, upon entry uh, an insurance policy. But it does cover a lot of things. But I, unfortunately, I'm not well-versed. No, but in- you know what? Dawn, your Aruba example is a good one. They're doing the same thing in Costa Rica. They're starting that in uh, St. Lucia and in Jamaica. Um, and and it's and in, the, in the Costa Rica example, I think the policy costs $10 a day, but it's specifically geared towards COVID-19 so that should you contract it, they'll not only stabilize you and treat you there as part of that policy, they will repatriate you and evacuate you back to the doctor and medical facility of your choice in the U.S. That's a good deal. And I'm happy to pay that premium. Well, and what they were saying, you know, the State Department held a briefing this week and about the new international testing requirements. And they were just like, you know, their, their bottom line message was you need to have a plan B. You know, they were reminding people that Medicare and uh, Medicaid don't cover you in a foreign country. Uh, They were saying, you know, yes, they'll be there for people, but they're not going to do any, you know, 
massive repatriation flights because people knew this was uh, coming, unlike, you know, the beginning of the pandemic a year ago. So people really have to be really have to be prepared much more so than usual if they're thinking about taking an international trip. Although I will share something with you that you may remember uh, at the beginning of, not the pandemic, but at the beginning of last year when Thomas Cook failed in Europe and in England uh, and stranding, I mean, literally hundreds of thousands of passengers all over Europe. uh, Guess what? In the largest rescue operation mounted since Dunkirk, the British (laughs) government flew everybody home because as part of their ticket, some money was was allocated to a special fund that was the, basically a repatriation fund established by the government for just such things. And I would wow. think I would think we should do that in this country. Why not? Um, people mistakenly think that when the you know what hits the fan, you just run to the U.S. embassy and they take care of you. Not necessarily. No, in fact, not usually. Yeah. In fact, I, I'm going to say something that's going to get me in trouble, but I'm going to say it anywhere. Say it anyway. When I'm in an overseas situation and something goes really wrong, I go to the Canadian embassy. I go to the Australian <laughs> embassy. Those guys really take care of people, even if you're not Australian or Canadian. And, they help and if you don't believe me, and if you don't believe me, ask the U.S. hostages that were in Iraq. They were all hanging out at the Canadian embassy. That's what got them out. Uh, not the U.S. <laughs> embassy. Just I'm just saying. Now, if you need to get your passport renewed, go to the U.S. <laughs> embassy. <laughs> Okay, now that I've alienated the entire U.S. State Department, sorry about that. But, but what you say, Dawn, is, is true. We don't have a fund. There's not a provision that the U.S. State Department has that requires them to go rescue you or me or anybody else. My thanks to Dawn. Are you thinking of booking a cruise? Got a destination in mind? But most importantly, do you have a departure date in mind? Get out your calendars. Gene Sloan Senior editor on cruising from the Points Guy has his calendar handy as well. Gene Sloan, how are you, Gene? I'm doing good. Hi, Peter. Good. Well, you, I, I, I suppose you're landlocked right now and itching to get back out. Uh, and like so many of our listeners who are wanting to know, you know, should I book a cruise? Is it really going to sail this year? And I'm one of those people who believes the cruise lines will re- resume sailing, although they keep sliding the schedule back. Um, there, there doesn't seem to be a week that goes by that, that, that a document doesn't cross my desk from one of the major cruise lines saying, okay, our our May sailings have been moved back to June or our June sailings have been moved back to July. Some cases even further than that. I said I think they're going to sail this year. Do you think they're going to sail this year? I, I do think they're going to sail this year, but yeah, that's the story. It just it just keeps getting pushed back and back and back. And I mean, we're looking now. Um, you know, a few months ago we were thinking maybe we'd be cruising now, but it's it's pretty much all the big lines have canceled through May into May. And I don't know. I mean, summer. If you asked me a month ago, I said for sure we'd have some ships in, in, in the summer, but now now I'm starting to worry about it, and I'm thinking. We may get some shifts by the summer, but I think we're looking now more towards the fall for for a, a significant number of ships to come back, or may, maybe even later. Well, if that's the case, then I got to ask the uh, the elephant in the room question for those people who are who love their Alaska cruises. You know that that cruise season goes from May to September, but the Canadian yeah. government has not announced yet whether they're reopening their ports. They gave us a date of or a decision date of February twenty first. Are you hearing anything? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I, I am not hearing much from the Canadians, but it, it does not look good. They they have been very strict on this. They they they've been uh, you know they, they came came out earlier than most with uh, with with shutting things down, and I, I suspect they're gonna it's gonna they're gonna be the last to come back, and it's a huge issue for Alaska. Alaska's already we're already seeing lines cancel some of their May sailors. We've had a few lines cancel everything for the season. And this, like you said, the season is so short that, you know, as, as these start dates get pushed, you know, keep getting pushed back a month, another month, we're getting pretty close to the point here where it doesn't, it's not going to make sense to do that season. And at the same time, I'm seeing uh, companies like Viking announcing another ship. Yeah, yeah, that just in the last few days, uh, which to, to me, you know, it's a, it's a small ship. They announced that they're going to do a, a new small river ship on the Nile. So it's not that the ship was that itself was that big a deal, but it's the big picture. You know, cruise lines, as a rule, have just shut down their new ship orders. We're seeing a lot of lines scrapping ships, selling ships, getting getting their fleet size down. So Viking coming out in recent days and saying, "Hey, we're going to do a, a new ship that, that we hadn't told you about before." To me, that's a real. It's like a, it's a milestone. It's, it's it's them having confidence that the industry is going to come back. Like we've been talking, it may it, it may be many months before it does, but they're thinking it, you know it, it will, and there's demand, and we're going to need this ship. 
that's a good you sign. Know, you mentioned you mentioned you know getting the fleet size down. I not only get releases every week about you know moving certain sailings back, I also get releases about certain ships that have either been sold or scrapped. And and Carnival alone, I think, has gotten rid of either twelve or thirteen ships already. Yeah, it's even more than that. Well, Carnival Corp, the parent company, I think they're up to nineteen. And so it's a uh, yeah, we're seeing, and Viking is unusual in that they haven't done it, but almost every major line, Carnival, the brand, has, has gotten four ships, four out of 27 that they started last year with are out of the fleet. Holland America, four out of 14 are gone. Uh, Royal Caribbean just took two out. So it's, uh, you know, it's almost across the board. It's, it's a fairly significant downsizing in the industry. It's a lot of the older ships. Um, also a lot of the smaller, which were the smaller ships, and in, in some cases much beloved ships, because there's a certain type of cruiser who likes the smaller ships, and they're disappearing. So it's it's uh, it's sad for a lot of people who are really into cruising to see, but uh, it's just the only way they can get their costs down right now. And, you know, one of the things I want to talk to you about is I started seeing it in Australia. Uh, I saw news of it uh, just earlier this week, and that is Regardless of what the cruise lines are going to do, I saw it with airlines, uh, Qantas in Australia announcing that if you want to book a ticket on Qantas when they resume flying, whenever that is, they won't let you do it unless you show proof of vaccination. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm assuming that this is going to be coming uh, across the board in, in, the, in the travel industry at hotels, restaurants, dry cleaners, markets, amusement parks, and of course the cruise lines. Uh, we've already seen Qantas announce that you're going to have to have proof of vaccination before they'll let you board. And then earlier this week, one cruise line, uh, Norwegian, announced that they're making vaccinations mandatory for all their crew members. And so that leads me to believe that passenger requirements have to be right, right, right behind that. Yeah, you know, this is the big topic right now in the cruise business. And I, I think, um, we, you know, I, I think you're going to see this with some lines. Definitely some lines are talking about it and wanting to do it. We actually just saw a few days ago the first major line, major maybe is, is overselling it, but uh, Saga Cruises, which is a two-ship line based in the U.K., come out and say they're, they're going to require vaccines. And, and they're, they're hoping to restart in May. And you're going to have to have both, if it's a two-course two series, you're going to have to have both 14 days in advance. So that, you're going to have to get that done by April just to get on the ships. Um, and I'm thinking we're going to see this, from what I'm hearing, on more ships. It may be, it may be what people are talking about is, is some of the more upscale lines, the lines that cater to older travelers, like an Oceana Cruises or Region, region uh, Seven Seas Cruises, will require it, and, and more of the mass market lines may not. Um, but it's still all sort of up in the air. Well, the reason probably why it's up in the air, given the litigious nature of Americans, uh, I see I see this ending up in court because people claiming yeah. it's an infringement on their rights. I tend to think that the courts are going to rule against them, claiming that it's a public health issue. Um, and I would suspect that that really will be a requirement. Yeah, yeah, and you mentioned Norwegian Cruise Line. They they came out and said they're going to require it for crew, but they've said they, they've got the lawyers working on it now, and that is the issue. It's, can they do this legally and require every passenger to have it? it you know, it, it, it's a big issue for the industry because, as you know, there's a segment of the population that doesn't want to be vaccinated. Right. And, you know, so it, it becomes a real business issue. Um, but, of, of course, you mentioned Qantas. There's a big issue, like, even if the lines don't require uh, the cruise lines, that is, don't require vaccination, we may see more of the airlines do it, and then it, it, it becomes moot because, you know, if you're going to fly to your you know, fly to your cruise, you may have to get it anyways. Exactly. I, and if, if the lawyers are working on it, they're, being, they're preparing for the legal pushback on this. It's going to be interesting to see, but I can't see it going any other way simply because people need that assurance. Uh, lawyers need that assurance. Companies need that assurance. Countries need that assurance. And, of course, passengers uh, it's going to be very yeah. interesting to see how and when that happens. And then the crazy part, of course, is can you develop a document that can be easily read on a universal level, that can easily be updated electronically as your medical condition is improved or changes or your vaccination levels change? And can you develop a, a card that can be, uh, you know, forgery proof? Because you know there'll be a black market. Somehow there'll be a black market. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, there's a lot they got to work out, and of course they got to work this all out in the next few months. 
in theory, if they're going to really get these ships back in the water. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I've talked to so many people who say to me, oh, you, you know, you couldn't pay me to go on a cruise. I'm never going to go on a cruise. And then I said to them, but if you got vaccinated and showed proof of vaccination and everybody on that ship was vaccinated, would you go? And the answer was, oh, okay. <laughs> so exactly. I'm hearing that. And, and, and I'm in sure that the... sort of case, there w- no, go ahead. No, go ahead, I was say in that sort of case, then there, there would, you know, the odds of some kind of breakout would be almost infinitesimal at that point. I think that's what the cruise lines want to get to. They, you know, we all remember what happened a year ago with these ships getting, you know, these big breakouts and getting quarantined and people being stuck on a ship for days on end. And I, the crew, I, I think you're going to see with the lines why they may be going down this path is they just do not want to see that happen again. That's, that's the end of the industry if that, if that happens again. And Gene, you were on a ship that was supposedly going to test everybody before, during, and after, and they had to return to port. <laughs> I was. I was on the Sea Dream uh, Yacht Club uh, Sea Dream 1, which was this ship, probably people remember, that, that did, did have a breakout. And, um, yeah, and that was a great case where they thought it was enough to do the testing, the COVID testing before, and it still got through. So I think that's, that's also something the lines are looking at is, okay, that didn't work. Um, we need to go to the full vaccination. My thanks to Gene. And now, over to Asia, Hong Kong in particular. Like South Korea and Taiwan, Hong Kong is essentially in lockdown. And CNN's Lalit Marcus is there with the report. Not a lot of people are traveling where my next guest is, Uh, a place I used to live, a place I used to hang out a lot, a place I love, otherwise known as Hong Kong. And uh, joining us now, uh, the digital travel journalist for CNN, Lilith Marcus. How are you? Hi, I'm well. Thanks for for calling. Yes, you're, you're well in Hong Kong, except I can't come see you. No one can come see me. It's driving me crazy. Well, you know, it's interesting when you take a look at the entire Asian region, starting with Korea uh, and then Taiwan, Hong Kong, Japan, uh, and then, of course, moving into, into, into Thailand, you are still essentially closed off to the rest of the world. Yes. How does that translate right now? I mean, is the airport even operating? Ostensibly. I hear rumors that it's open, but I have not actually checked for myself. So what's the what's the impact on the streets there? Because before we had, of course, the pandemic, we had all the protests all the democracy protests, uh, and in some cases, Hong Kong was already shut down in some some respects. Uh, and of course, the numbers had already dropped. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because I think it is starting to get lost in a lot of the conversations about coronavirus is the fact that Hong Kong was already on a precipice when it came to travel because of what was going on with the protest movement. So when I first moved here about a year and a half ago, a lot of my friends from the U.S., really wanted to come visit because they wanted a free couch to sleep on in Hong Kong. But they all asked me, oh my gosh, is it safe? Should I come? I don't know. And these are people who live in Manhattan. (laughs) Well, as I try to tell people, even during the, you know, the, uh, the Arab spring in, in Cairo, if you went three blocks out of Tahrir Square, everything was going on as normal. Um, And, and the same thing was happening in Hong Kong. You, you actually, you knew every morning in the newspaper, where the protests were going to be. There was no secrets. Yeah, plus as an American, there were certain things that uh, really surprised me about the protests, like that there were rules and that people often followed them, which I found very confusing. Like you said, they tell you when and where the protest is going to be, and then that is when and where the protest is going to be. And I thought, wow, how extremely reasonable. (laughs) Yes, it's a printed program. I love it. Uh, yeah. And, you know, you would know how to get to work every day. It was really easy to plan your life around it for the most part, unless you lived in one of the neighborhoods where the protests were most likely to take place. But I think for a lot, you know, the idea that after a protest, you could walk down the street an hour later and all the graffiti would have already been painted over and all the litter would have already been picked up. And and it sometimes felt otherworldly. Like, did this really happen? Right. This doesn't normally happen this way, at least in, not in this country. But let's go back to the, to, the, to the early days of the pandemic where we saw the behavior of the people in Asia, which was, a, in many cases, a remarkable model of how to respond. People listened. They behaved. They weren't crowding into bars in Florida. Uh, they were wearing their masks. And they got a handle on it. Yeah, I think Hong Kong in particular... I can't speak for all of Asia, of course, but here in Hong Kong, 
we started closing things down a year ago this week. So that was Chinese New Year last year. The first wow. thing that I remember being canceled was the big Chinese New Year celebration that was going to happen in Victoria Park on Hong Kong Island. At the time, everybody thought that this new disease thing that might have been happening in Wuhan was still kind of a rumor or maybe a crazy conspiracy theory. And there wasn't really any information coming out yet that was easy to verify. Yeah, it's true. I and personally thought, wow, they're being really overly cautious here. I think this is a little bit too much. And of course, hindsight, I'm really, really glad that they began closing things down early. And of course, no one could have seen the future. But I think Hong Kong in particular was a city that still feels the after effects of SARS. And people here take pandemics extremely seriously. So it was really inspiring to see that I think not having lived here during SARS, I was younger when it happened. I didn't remember a lot about it. And the way that people in Hong Kong talked about it, I assumed tens of thousands of people had died. They all take it very, very seriously and feel emotional about it. It was about 300. That's and it. In a city of seven and a half million people, that that was enough to count as a catastrophe really made me see how they treasure human life here. And I, I was really touched by that. And, you know, we're talking with with, with Leela Marcus the uh, from CNN. Leela, my question is, you know, we talk about quarantine in this country, and then how do you enforce it? Um, and and it's difficult. I mean, contact tracing is tough. Quarantine is tough. I mean, last week I landed back in New York from Mexico, and I was given a form to fill out right there at the arrivals gate. Uh, and and of course they asked if I'd been exposed to COVID or if I had any symptoms. And uh, my they wanted my full name. They wanted my address. They wanted my phone number. But they there's nobody there at the arrivals gate to basically check to see that the name I put down was actually my name, that the phone number I put down matched my cell phone, that the address that I put down matched my ID. I could have put down your name and left the airport. Um, now the Biden administration is talking about a possible seven-day quarantine for anybody coming to the United States. They haven't implemented it yet. But in Hong Kong, we're not talking about seven days. We're talking about 21 days, aren't we? Yes. And so there have been a couple of evolutions of quarantine over the past year. And it just keeps getting more and more and more restrictive. So I need to double check the dates on some of this. But originally, you were able to quarantine at home, but no one really checked up on you. And then it became, oh, instead of a week, you have to do two weeks. And then it became, you are not allowed to quarantine at home. You must quarantine at a hotel or a government facility based on whether you have symptoms. And then it went from 14 days to 21. So one thing that's really challenging, I live here. I already pay for an expensive apartment and I live alone so I can't infect anybody else in my household. And the idea that if I wanted to leave Hong Kong and come back, I would have to pony up for three weeks at a hotel on top of the apartment that I could just go and live in, to me feels like it makes travel it makes travel not worth it. Well, it makes travel impossible. I mean, when you think about it, it's uh, but but look, we're just about to impose new restrictions on anybody coming to the United States from the United Kingdom, from Brazil, from South Africa. Um, and of course, nobody gets to come into the United States, even if you're coming in from another country. And even if you're an American without showing proof of a valid uh, negative COVID-19 test 72 hours prior to you getting on the plane. So it's um, it's getting tougher here now, too. Yeah, I, I do wish that I think once it was officially a pandemic and it was starting to spread to other countries and we realized it wasn't just going to be a sort of six week thing that was isolated to Asia and then everybody moved on with their lives. I started seeing friends in the US and Europe posting on social media about, oh my gosh, masks are so silly or, oh, this is never gonna happen to us. I can't believe they're sending me to work from home for the next two weeks, how, how crazy. And I thought, if you had just listened to us at the beginning. Yeah, just if they'd only listened, I know. So the Chinese New Year's- Hong Kong got around to imposing a, you must wear a mask in public or you are going to get fined law. 99% of people were wearing them voluntarily. You know, we don't maybe have a regular Chinese New Year this year. Instead of it being the, you know, the year of the lion or the dog, maybe it's just the year of the mask. <laughs> Right. Well, I mean, we did go to a very famous. Uh, I went to since you used to live here. I went to Wang Daisin Temple last week to get my fortune told ahead of Chinese New Year. 
Do you want to share that? <laughs> sure. So, um, so in addition to the 12 animals of the Chinese zodiac, they're also associated with cardinal elements. So this year that is about to end was a water rat year. And the year that is going to start soon is a metal ox. So what the fortune teller told me is that water and rats are a terrible combination because rats always drown in water. So those are always very, very bad years. But metal and ox are both really strong and hardy. And if you're willing to work, you will get a lot out of it. Uh, are you working? Are you willing? <laughs> we are all ready and willing. So do you see a light at the end of the tunnel? Do you see any kind of bubble tourism starting to happen? Any sort of openings? Or, or is everybody just still waiting? I think there's a lot of playing chicken. I think everyone would like these things to happen, but nobody wants to go first. I was supposed to be on the inaugural uh, travel bubble flight from Hong Kong to Singapore last month. And that was canceled about 24 hours before I was able to go because we had another spike in cases here in Hong Kong. What about the rest of Asia? Is anything opening up? Because I took a look at the restrictions for Thailand and Thailand will say, yes, you can come if you do the following 25 things. And and and, and, and Cambodia was even more draconian. Uh, you can come if you do the following 25 things. Oh, and by the way, you have to prepay uh, your funeral expenses in case you have to be cremated. How about that? Yeah. Uh, I mean, that that's an incentive. We had a nice development this week, which was that Sri Lanka announced they'll be reopening their borders to tourists so far from any country. And what I think is interesting about their plan is if you do a hotel quarantine in most parts of Asia, including here in Hong Kong, or, you know, throughout Asia Pacific in New Zealand or in Australia, you literally can't leave your room, period. And the way that Sri Lanka has organized it is they have this kind of loose confederation of mostly beach resorts or hotels that have a little bit more space that have become designated quarantine bubble resorts. So even though you have to do a two-week quarantine, you can do it at a resort and you can have the run of the place. So you can leave your room, you can go to the beach, you can swim, you can go to the gym. And then once that two weeks is over, you can travel freely throughout the country, take domestic flights, etc. So I'm curious to see how that's going to go. Frankly, I've been looking into it myself because like you said, so little in APAC is open right now. But I do think it's a really interesting plan. And you know, you mentioned so little in APAC is open. Uh, just a few hours ago, New Zealand announced that they're probably not going to open their borders at all for the entire year of 2021. How about that? You know, whatever they're doing is definitely working. I think New Zealand and Taiwan have been two of the places that for me, I was really impressed by the way that they covered it. But they're also islands. It's a lot easier to control who comes in and out of your country when you are literally an island. So the real question that remains here is, is there a silver lining here? Is there an upside? What I'm hoping is that COVID... Once things begin to reopen again, once we're able to travel, COVID reminds us that travel is a gift and that travel is special. I think because of the ubiquity and how easy it became and how much of it was on social media and about performing for other people, I stopped seeing the magic of travel that I saw when I was little that made me want to do the job that I have. So I hope that it it gets all of us to treat travel as a special experience to be kinder to other people when we travel, not to see it as a commodity. And isn't it ironic that a year ago today, or at least a year ago this month, what was topic A in, in the world of travel and tourism? Over-tourism. That was the word. You know, airlines were, were complaining about a, a coming pilot shortage. Uh, neither of those words are, are, are in the lexicon, at least mo momentarily. And as you just said, maybe, just maybe, we've been given a chance for a do-over. Maybe, we, you, know, th you know, beware the law of unintended consequences. We've been given a chance for a do-over, a reset, if you will, as to how we reapproach tra travel and tourism and how we manage it. Yeah, I think there's a real opportunity there to be more thoughtful and to be more mindful. I am concerned that this is going to price a lot of people out. One thing that was nice about where travel was a year ago was that it was relatively democratic and much more affordable than it had ever been in the past. Now, a lot of those low-cost airlines are gone or significantly cutting back. If fewer people are able to travel, you're not going to be able to get as many deals. So I hope that we can find a way to strike a balance where 
it's still available for the majority of people who want to take advantage of it, but we don't go so far that we start destroying our natural resources and ruining some of our attractions as a result of over-tourism. Well, what I'm seeing happening almost on a worldwide level is airlines, the ones that are still surviving, have essentially abandoned first class. Uh, They're reconfiguring their planes. Uh, Other airlines that are low-fare, low-cost airlines are actually getting ready to flood the zone because they think that the comeback is only going to be with leisure travel and not business travel. Uh, In the U.S., airlines like uh, Frontier and Spirit and Allegiant and Sun Country, even Southwest, announcing all new routes, I mean, dozens of new routes to cities in the United States, which almost seems counterintuitive. Uh, And where you are, one of the things that I love, I hope that the airlines in this country will match it, is AirAsia is offering a, a, an annual pass. They're doing like an all-you-can-fly pass uh, for anybody who wants to buy one, which to me is like, where do I sign up? I know, man. If I could, I would. <laughs> well, maybe you can. I mean, hopefully maybe 60 to 90 days from now, that pass will still be valid and you can use it for the next year. I just think it's a great idea. Yeah, JetBlue did one really early on in the US, one of the first years that they were in business, and I missed my window. And to this day, I still regret it. So this would be a nice <laughs> way to make up for that. Well, I have a news bulletin for you, Lili. Uh, they don't fly to Hong Kong. However, <laughs> however, AirAsia does. So check them out. Did I lose you? Nope, I'm here. Oh, good. I was waiting for an exclamation point from you saying, oh my goodness, I'll do it. <laughs> I really will, though. My thanks to Lilith, to Gene Sloan, Don Gilbertson, and Cheryl Gay Stolberg. And my thanks to you for listening to this Ion Travel podcast. For more conversations with the world's leaders in travel, be sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. And for breaking travel news, and these days, is there any other kind? Be sure to log on to petergreenberg.com. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, early and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Plus.